Good day, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, glad you are with us. This is Live with Doug. My name is Doug, and we are live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. We are thinking through God's Word together. Glad that you could join us. And we are in the midst of a series called What About Israel, where we are looking at Romans 9 through 11. As Mark says, it's a great day to be in Romans. Let freedom ring. Indeed. Uh, good to have you all with us this morning. Luyana, glad to have you with us, and Jeff, and Keith, and the rest of you. So uh, we're in this uh, section of chapter 10, and I think we're going to be able to finish chapter 10 today, depending. Um, but I'm going to need your help, going to need some feedback along the way here. Uh, I don't want to get too bogged down in the details, but there are, are some um, some verbal links here that I want you to be able to see. Uh, let, me, let me put it this way. So people ask me now and then, um, is it really that important to learn Greek, right? We know that the New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, Paul wrote Romans in Greek, not in English, uh, not uh, the New King James or the New American Standard or the English Standard Version or the NIV or whatever, <laughs> whatever English you are reading. Paul didn't write that. He wrote it in Greek. And uh, we teach Greek at our uh, school, uh, the New Covenant School of Theology. And people ask me, is it really that big a deal? Well, for most of the most important things, if you have a good Literal translation, such as the New American Standard, uh, then most things you know you're going to get just fine. But there are some some nuances that are a little clearer when you have the original language, and it, you know it's not like major doctrines are overturned or anything like that. But there are a few things here in our text today that I want to point out to you, and uh, and I don't, but I don't want to lose you in the details. So. If it gets too much and you're like, yeah, this is not helpful, then just tell me to move on and I'll, I'll move on. Good morning, Jenny. Good to have you with us as well. All right, so uh, let, me, let me back up, make sure that we're capturing the context here. Remember the question this started with, or at least the statement uh, that this whole section started with that uh, might have been provoked by a question. Has God failed in his promises to Israel? right? Has, has he failed to keep his word? And the answer, of course, is no. Verse 6 of chapter 9, Paul said, it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are from Israel. So that's kind of the framework. That's the launching pad for this whole section. Uh, God's word, his promises made to Israel were never intended to for every single Israelite within the the big circle, and I, I should I should make you a graphic here. Um, if you think in your mind's eye, for those of you driving who couldn't see it, even if I had a nice graphic, in your mind's eye, think of a circle, and every Jew who's ever been born is in that circle. That's the circle of Israel. Not all in that circle are Israel. So within that big circle, there's a smaller circle of the, the, the elect Israel, the, those who were promised. That's what the Old Testament calls the remnant, for instance. Uh, there was always going to be some Israelites who received God's blessing and, and promise. Uh, he'll go on and call them the vessels of mercy. But then the rest of Israel is in the camp of the, the vessels of wrath, 
who receive God's justice because they are sinful. Last night, I started our New Covenant School of Theology course on the Old Testament prophets. And it's not too late. If you want to sign up today, we'll let you in. And you can go back and watch the video from last night. Um, and I was explaining to the students that we sometimes have this view that the Jews were basically pretty decent people. I don't know why we have that other than some of the teaching maybe from some bad teaching that uh, since they're God's chosen people in the Old Testament, they must have been basically pretty good. They were a wicked, vile people. As you read the prophets and see the charges that God himself brings against the Jews, it's just label after label after label of great wickedness. Last night we were looking in Amos and God charged them with, you know, you sell other people for a pair of sandals. You're actually slave trading. The Jews were slave traders and they were adulterers and they were murderers that I don't want to, I don't want to receive your, your sacrifices anymore because the blood on your hands is not the blood from the animals. It's the blood of men. You are wicked, murderous people. And then, of course, they're idolaters, worshiping false gods constantly. So these were not a good people. And God withheld pouring out his wrath on them for a period of time because he was preserving the remnant to get to the Messiah to bring true atonement for that remnant. So that was his plan all along. This is not new. Okay, so uh, the word of God has not failed. He was never planning to save all Jews in the big circle, only the, the smaller circle. But Paul needs to explain that and show that this was always the plan. And the word of God held this out all the way through. This is not new news. Uh, this is news they should have had. So then we got to uh, chapter 9 and verse thirty. And let me pull that up for you, which says this, what shall we say, say then? The Gentiles, so if the big circle is the Jews, the Gentiles, that's everyone outside of the circle, right? All the other nations, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they weren't trying to be right with God. They attained that righteousness with God, even the righteousness, which is by faith. So Gentiles like these Romans believed the story of Jesus. And they were righteous. But Israel, the circle, they pursued a law of righteousness and they didn't arrive at that law. And then we saw chapter 10, verse 4. Christ, the Messiah, is the end. He's the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So then we, we pursued on through this next section. And I'm not going to go back all over it again here. But we, uh, we read this section yesterday that is so often used in missions conferences. And I tried to show you that uh, as, as appropriate as that may be abstractly, that's not Paul's point. And he finishes this section with, how will they preach unless they are sent just as it is written? And then he quotes from Isaiah 52, how beautiful are, are the feet of those who bring good news. Okay, so that's where we left off. And, and I want to remind you that when Isaiah writes this, he is seeing, he's seeing everything beforehand. That's what prophets did. Prophets saw, they, they had these visions of what God was going to do. And then their job was to go announce to the people what, what he saw. The, the prophet would come and say, here's what the, law, the, the Lord showed me. Here's what I saw. And oftentimes it was 
their destruction. I saw the Lord, the Lord said to me in this vision, I saw, I heard him and he is angry with you and he's going to bring justice. He's going to bring a nation down and, and burn down the city and, and destroy your homes and send some of you into exile. And the rest of you are going to lie uh, dead in the streets. It's, it's, it, it's very sobering as you read the prophets. And that's indeed what happened in Isaiah leading up to chapter 51, 52. Isaiah saw this vision of the destruction of God's people, but then he says, that's not the end of the story because he, he sees a deliverer coming to rescue Israel. He sees that God says, I'm not done with them. Awake, awake, rise up. And we saw this yesterday, right? Get up, put on your good, clean clothes, put on your Sunday best, you know, get, get dressed up and get excited. Be glad because I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to rescue you. And Isaiah said this, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good tidings. How wonderful, how, how glorious is it's beautiful, this messenger that's coming with this good news of salvation. But what did Israel do with that message? So again, don't mean to insult your intelligence, but I know for a lot of people, this is just new concept. We don't think of this. We don't, we don't really understand how the prophets work. So Isaiah is telling them all this beforehand. You're going to be destroyed, but that's not the end of the story. God's going to bring a deliverer. He has good news for you. Awake. He's going to send the king. He's going to send the Messiah. And isn't this wonderful to get all this good news? What was their response? Well, this statement, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, that's Isaiah 52. How does Isaiah 53 begin? Lord, who has believed our report? And Paul deduces from that, they did not all heed the good news. They didn't all listen. They didn't all care. So Isaiah predicts ahead of time, God's going to bring judgment, and then he's going to bring deliverance. Be ready and most of the Jews of Isaiah's day said, eh, we don't want to listen to this guy. All he does is tell us bad news. And Isaiah says, no, I'm bringing good news too. Yeah, we don't like the bad news, so we're not going to listen to you. You see all that? So now Paul draws an inference from this past history for the Jews. And verse 17, he says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. All right, so here's where I'm going to get a little uh, technical with you. And if, if this is not the kind of thing that gets you excited, well, just bear with me. It'll get a, <laughs> get a little better here in a minute. I hope, or at least a little clearer. So this, these words hearing, okay? So when we hear this, uh, this word, this sentence, so faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of Christ, it's easy to take this out of context, but uh, this word from Isaiah 53, who has believed our report, this word report is exactly the same word as this word hearing and this word hearing. So let me uh, show you, I think I can pull up a interlinear, interlinear, which will show you this, and for some this might matter. So here's the, uh, here's the word. It's, uh, if you know what the Strong's numbers are, it's uh, G0189, and if you read Greek at all, it's a koe. Uh, the report, who has believed our report? So, again, even if you can't read Greek, the number here, 0189, okay? So then faith comes from hearing, you see it's the same word, 0189, a koe, and hearing, G0189, Okoe, same thing. So report, hearing, 
and hearing are the same word. It doesn't change the meaning that much, but it adds a little nuance. Let me, let me help you try to see it. So Isaiah wrote, Lord, who has believed our report? Implying nobody has. The Jews, they, they didn't listen. They, they, didn't, they didn't hear the good news. They didn't care about the good news that God was going to bring a deliverer. Okay, so now Paul draws this inference. So faith, and, and faith, remember, is the key to everything. He has said all the way through here, the Gentiles believed the report and they received righteousness and the Jews were pursuing law and not faith and they did not receive righteousness. Faith is out of the report. If, if our translators here use the same word, then that's exactly what you would see because it is the same word as I showed you in the Greek. Lord, who's believed our report? So faith is out of the report. So for the Jews back in Isaiah's day, they should have put their faith in the report of the good news of the deliverer coming. Well, the same is true of the Jews of Paul's day. Faith comes from the report. Well, what report? Report by the word of the Messiah. And this word, word, again, there's another verbal link back here. Uh, and again, for some of you, they're like, eh, move on. But for some of you, you might like this. Uh, the verbal link back here, when he quoted from Deuteronomy 30, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are preaching. Uh, let me just ask you, some of you know this, even if, you even if you've never studied Greek. What is the, the ordinary word, ordinary Greek word for word? Uh, you may know this from John, for instance. The, 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 the New Testament word that is usually translated word, I'm going to lose you in, <laughs> in all the verbiage here. Uh, like in John, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, John there uses the most familiar, most frequent word for word. Do you know what it is? What is it that John says, in the beginning was the what? Yes, Mark got it. Logos, right? This is the, the most common, the most frequent word for word. It's Paul's favorite word for word as well. That's not the word that, uh, that Paul uses here. He doesn't say uh, the logos is near you in your mouth and your heart. That is the logos of faith. And the reason he doesn't is because the Greek translation that he's quoting here from Deuteronomy 30 uses the word hrema not logos. And there is a subtle distinction, and we're not going to get into it now. It's not, it's not crucial to the point here, but it's the word rhema. So uh, Moses wrote in Hebrew, it's translated to Greek, the rhema is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is, Paul says, the rhema of faith, which we are preaching. Well, what is this word of faith? Well, he says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, if you if you if you believe that and you say it and 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 you 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 uh, you ascribe to Jesus lordship, you bow the knee to him. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's the rhema of faith. That's the word of faith. That's the message that Paul is now grabbing from Deuteronomy and saying this is no longer about the law. It's about Jesus. So then down here he, he says the same thing. Faith comes from the report, but not just any report, the report 
by the Rhema of Messiah. He's taking it back to what he said earlier, uh, appealing back to Deuteronomy and and this Rhema of Christ that you believe that he is Lord and believe or confess that he's Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Okay, so all of that begs the question or provokes the question for Israel, did they hear the rhema? Did they hear the message? Did they hear the report? Did they hear the word? Right? He anticipates that with a question here. And in the Greek, for any of you who speak Greek, this word but is not the normal word for but. It is a very strong adversative, Allah, rather. I always make our Greek students translate Allah, rather, because it's a very strong adversative. All right, I'm going to try to leave the, the nerd stuff now and get back to something that we can all track along with. Did they all hear? Faith comes from the report, the report of the word of Christ. But I ask, I say, rather, I say, did they hear? Surely they never heard. The Jews didn't hear the word, did they? On the contrary, literally here, indeed they have. Now, this is a very interesting uh, quote from the Old Testament. Do you know what this is from? Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Anybody know without looking it up? Do you know what uh, what Paul is quoting here? The, their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. A- anyone have that? And I know there's a little delay here, so I'm going to sing a little song and give you a little time. This is, uh, and don't cheat, don't look at your cross-reference. Maybe too late, but anyway, their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. My guess is, even if you don't readily call that to mind, you've heard this because it's one of our favorite uh, psalms. <laughs> little hint there. This is from Psalm 19. And let me, uh, let me pull it up here for you. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse. Uh, Karen says one of those Psalms. Yes, exactly. The Psalm 19. Very good. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. So this Psalm, right? We, we, we love this when we think about looking out into the stars and the, the sun, the moon, and, and just seeing the glory and the wonder of God uh, shouting out God's goodness and power and strength and all that. Day to day, the heavens pour out speech and, and night to night reveal his knowledge as we, as we just look at the created order. There is no, no speech nor their words, their voice is not heard, and yet their line or their sound has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. Paul quotes that to answer this question. I say, surely they never heard, have they? So I don't know. As I study that Psalm 19, I don't see a direct tie-in to what he's been saying here. The others are pretty obvious, and I've been trying to show you. That's why I go back and read long sections and show you why Paul is grabbing that that phrase from the Old Testament. It's it's not just choosing a verse that happens to say what he wants it to say. He's he's showing how this has already been said in the Old Testament. It's already been predicted, and, and now the fulfillment has come. This one's harder because I don't see anything in Psalm 19 that ties into his argument here. Uh, So it may be there and I'm just missing it. Or it's possible that what he's doing is he's he's drawing a comparison uh, that have have the Jews heard? uh, Have they really heard this this Rama of Christ, this word, this message about the Messiah? And Paul is saying, indeed, it's so far reaching. It's so obvious that it's just like Psalm 19, 
that as obvious as it is when you go out into the, to the, the stars at night and you see God's handiwork in, uh, in, in creating all of this and, and you can't help, but, but you'd have to be blind and deaf to not hear the glory of God being screamed, then the same way the Jews would have to be deaf and blind to not know this message of the Messiah. Um, I, I kind of think that's what he's doing here. I, I, I can't see another way. Now, some would argue that Paul's actually here describing Gentiles, um, that, that the Gentiles have heard the truth as well, that just like the heavens declare the glory of God, so Paul has taken the gospel in his day to all the regions. In Colossians 1, he says the whole world has heard the message. Uh, he's preached it to, to the, the vast majority of, uh, of the Gentile nations by this point, or Gentile, uh, the city, the Roman cities by this point. Um, so he may be, may be saying some of that. Maybe. Uh, it seemed to me like he's still talking about Israel here. I see Dale's got a, got a, a thought. Let me see what his uh, thought is. Uh, there may be an irony that Israel was the locus of the word, so it would be superfluous for it to be widespread in their case. Let me think that through for a minute. An irony. Israel was the, the locus, the, the focal point, the center of the word here. So it would be superfluous, be not needless for it to be widespread. So they, like, they, didn't, they didn't need it to be widespread because it was so, uh, so obvious to them. Hmm, maybe. Maybe kind of an irony there, a little bit of a uh, jab or sarcasm kind of thing, maybe. Not not sarcasm, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, irony, that's a good word. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, it, uh, This is the one of the whole section that I'm thinking. I'm not exactly sure what his use of that uh, Psalm 19 is. Anyway, let's move on to the clear, clear paths. But I say, against this rather, the strong rather, uh, and he's responding to, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And Lord, who has believed our report? Uh, rather, rather than believing our report, uh, he asked the question, rather, surely Israel did not know, did they? Surely Israel did not know this was all going to take place. Surely Israel did not get the message. They didn't get the news. They didn't understand what God was doing. Right, that, that's, that's what Paul's uh, anticipating a question here and, and using this rhetorical device. Th this is all new news to Israel that Paul's bringing. They, they, they couldn't have known any of this, right? Wrong, he says. Way back at the beginning, in Deuteronomy 32, God said this, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. So I want to go back and catch this, uh, the context of this statement. This is back in, uh, in Deuteronomy. So if you remember what Deuteronomy is, uh, God has led the Israelites out of Egypt through the Red Sea up to the promised land. And he says, go take the promised land. And that's when they send in the spies. The spies come back and say, we can't. They're too big, too powerful. And God is furious with them for not believing that he could deliver them into the promised land. So he sends them out in the wilderness where they wander for 40 years. Everyone over 20 dies. He's angry. He judges them. Now, 40 years later, they're ready to enter the promised land. And this time, they're going to go take the promised land. And Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. That's what the word Deuteronomy means. The second giving of the law to help this new generation who was young 
or didn't even exist back when the law was first given. He has to repeat the law to them a second time so they understand the terms of the covenant as they're about to enter the promised land. So they're they're going, and this time they are going to go into the land of Canaan, the land of flowing of milk and honey, and they're going to uh, finally possess this, pro- this land of promise. And Moses writes a song before they enter the promised land, right? So, so, and, and it's a, it's a sobering song of their failure. <laughs> so imagine you're all excited, right? You've been, you've been, you've finally been led out of the wilderness. Here you are. You can see the land, the rich, lush, prosperous land. And you believe, you, you believe that Joshua is actually going to be able to give you victory. You're all excited now. You've learned the lesson from the wilderness wandering. And all right, here we go. It's the big day. We're going to take charge. And and Moses says, but first, we're going to sing this song, Israel. (laughs) And this is the song that Moses sings as they're getting ready to take the promised land. It's crazy. Moses spoke in the hearing of the assembly of Israel, the words of this song until they were complete. Here's the song. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets of the fresh grass, as the showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. All right, so it's telling me that I got cut off there. Am I back on? Okay, so I think we are back. Mark says it's a conspiracy <laughs> from Jerusalem that they don't want this word to <laughs> to get out. Yeah, could be. All right, so uh, so Moses here is singing this song and up- uplifting the the glory of God's justice, and you know it's it's good. All right, God, this is this is who we are. We can uh, we can trust Him, and and then boom, Moses goes right into this song. They have acted corruptly toward Him. They are not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked generation. So again, they're about to take the promised land that they've been waiting for for 40 years. And Moses says, and here's the song I want to sing. You're corrupt. You're wicked. You're defective. You're perverse. (laughs) Do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is not he your father who has bought you? He has made you and established you. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your father and he will inform you. Your elders and they will tell you. Which is kind of ironic since so many of them are dead. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land in a howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them and carried them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign god with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth and ate the produce of the field. He made him suck honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock. 
curds of cows and milks of the flock and fat of lambs and rams, the breed of Bashan and goats with the finest of the wheat and the blood of grapes, you drank wine. Now, this may not sound attractive to you, but for them, this was living high on the hog, as my dad would have said. All right, this was the finest of everything. But Jeshuron grew fat. That's another word he's calling Israel. They grew fat and kicked. In other words, they had so much. They forgot their God. They grew fat, dumb, and happy, as my dad would say. And they, they, they forgot God. You've grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then he for, forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. So again, this is the song that Moses is singing, reminding them of their heritage and predicting what they're going to do. Y'all are rebellious, wicked, idolatrous people. God be with you. They sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. Like they're always looking for new idols, new 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 gods to worship. You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this. He's not blind to this. And he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. Then he said, I will hide my face from them. So again, here's the prediction of what God's going to do with these wicked, idolatrous people. I don't, I don't, I don't miss this. I see this, God says. I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. And realize he's not simply saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see it. He's going to do it. I, I will decide what I'm going to do with this. For they are a perverse generation. Sons in whom is no faithfulness. God says, they have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. You see that? Because they continue to worship their idols, I'm a jealous God. How many times has God told Israel this? I am a jealous God. It's like a man who has a wife and she goes flirting with other men and he says, I will not stand for this. That makes me jealous with a righteous jealousy and I will punish both of you. That's what God says. By the way, in, uh, in Amos last night, I told you in this uh, NCST course, I'm teaching the prophets. In Amos last night, there's one little line that I had never seen before where God is, descri- or Amos, yeah, the Lord through Amos is describing this whole wandering period and says they brought along their idols of Egypt with them. We don't, we don't see that so clearly, but they continued to commit idolatry even in, as they were suffering the anger of God in the wilderness. And God is describing that here and saying, you've made me jealous. You provoked my anger. And notice what his response is. So... I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. With those who are not a people, I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. See what he says here? This is on the front end of taking the promised land. And Moses' song says, because the Jews were not exclusive to me, but they went after other gods. 
So I'm going to take a people who is outside the circle, outside the nation of Israel, and I'm going to make the nation of Israel jealous. This nation of fools, a foolish nation, pagan, heathen, idol worshipers, I'm going to make Israel jealous as I receive this other nation. Do you see that? Do you see what's going on here? You, Israel, have taken other gods and provoked me to jealousy, so I am going to take foolish nations and make you jealous. This is going to be extremely important in chapter 11. That's why I'm stressing this. At the very beginning of God's relationship with Israel in the promised land, he's just given them the covenant in, you know, 40 years ago, and they're just coming into the land. They've got their whole history in front of them. And on the front end of this, God says, because of your wickedness and your idolatry, because you've chased after other gods and provoked me to jealousy, I'm going to pursue other nations and make you jealous. To, to sort of keep the symbolism here, and, and don't take this too far, but it's, it, it, and I'm not condoning this. So husbands, <laughs> God's not condoning this, but here's the imagery. Because my wife is chasing after other men and flirting with them and provoking me to jealousy, I'm going to go find another wo- woman and marry her and make you jealous. Now, again, that's not okay. He's just, it's just an analogy, but you, you, see the, you see the point. Did Israel know that they were not going to receive the blessings of the Messiah? Were they aware that they were going to reject him? That, did, was this new news that they would not believe the report of, of the deliverer? It's not new news. Israel did not know, did they? Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. This is not new. They should have been aware of this their whole history. God told them at the very beginning. Moses sang the song that this is what was going to happen. Now, where this is all heading is chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? And for the answer to that question, you'll have to come back. All right, I know we're kind of past time, but we got caught up in the technology problems there. Any any last uh, second uh, statements, comments, questions that I can uh, address before we move on? Uh, otherwise, we will come back to this tomorrow. Mark says, yeah, blind jealousy. Uh, exactly. And, they, and Israel was provoked to, to anger against God, and, and God was angry at them, and yeah. Uh, so we will see this. This is all very, very important to chapter 11, and I'm sure I'll come back and describe some of this in more detail because he's going to continue. If you want to get ahead of the game here, read through chapter 11 with this idea of jealousy in mind, and some of the hard parts might, uh, might become a little more obvious. All right, our time's up. I'm not seeing anything here. I know there's a, a delay. There's some uh, somebody, I think it was Dale yesterday, asked a question after we got done, and um, I was already signed off. Anyway, our time is gone. I will we'll be here tomorrow, Lord willing, and we will pick there up there. And if you have any other questions, uh, feel free to put in the comments, and we'll take a look at it. Have a great day. God bless.